You are listening to the... Which podcast is this again, Rebecca? The St. Louis Red Army. That's right. The St. Louis Red Army Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the St. Louis Red Army Podcast. I'm your host, Red Oldham, and we're joined by Matt Hutchinson, the dealer. We also have PK, Patrick <laughs> Kelly, and the pride of Manchester, the man who has the beehive. The bees, of course, being Manchester. Our very own Sean Tracy. Sean, thanks for being on the show today. First right? time on. All right. Yeah. First okay. cap. Is it? Uh, I feel like yeah. been on before. First, yeah. Li- yeah. Literally, for, literally first cap, right? I'm telling you, yeah. So, it is sure first cap. I got the video. <laughs> right. Manchester That's right. B. That's right, Manchester B. All right, which is really cool. So, uh, and what I what really liked about it, I was looking over uh, Manchester United's original crest. And it does have a B in it, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, the one from 1900, which is pretty cool. And uh, uh, also has a, uh, some Latin in it. And the Latin has something to do about working hard in a loose translation. So, but anyway, glad, glad to have you guys on the show. So here we go. The state of football is what we're going to start off with. And holy cow, there is a lot of stuff going on here. And uh, Matt, let's go ahead and start with you here, talking about France and Holland. Uh, dropping their league do you think that that's a bit premature to say that's it no more football till september or do you think they made a wise choice there i i I think it's probably a wise decision and the fact that now gives the teams and the players like some sort of sense of what the rest of their summer is going to look like you know there's so much um uncertainty right now and you know, we're, we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but, you know, the England teams are starting to call their players back, and I won't go any further than that, but that's going to lead to, to some uncertainty. They're going to be coming back. They're going to start training, and, and at least for these French players and for the Holland players, they know they're done. They can start winding down. They can start spending some time at home, start recovering from some injuries, and hopefully get prepared to be 100% when it comes, uh, you know, when, when September and August rolls around, and they, uh, well, what are you doing there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get situated here, man. Yeah. So, there we go. So, so right. you know, they'll they'll be fully prepped and ready to go. So I don't know if it's too premature. I think you know, I don't know if there's necessarily going to be a right or wrong decision, unless the wrong decision leads to a whole lot of people getting sick again. So, um, mm-hmm. it, I I can make sense of it, justify what they're doing. Well, uh, what do you think, PK? You think uh, uh, France and Holland uh, uh, calling their season early? You think that was a good good decision, or do you think what? Uh, Germany and Spain and those guys are doing. Do you think that that's going to be a better call? Well, and you you look at the money at stake. The the leagues that are calling it are the leagues that aren't the predominant European leagues. Um, you know, I, I hate to say this, but it, it comes down to money. The the Bundesliga, um, Spain, England. Mm-hmm. There there's a ton of money. The 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 Hollands, the, those types of leagues. There's still a lot of cash to be thrown around with that, but it, not near to what the Bundesliga and EPL are, are, are slashing around. So, um, you know, I hate to say it's money first above health, but you know, I, there's a balance. There's an absolute balance there, and that's what I think we're seeing right now. You know, the big difference is, is that uh, in Holland, Ajax would have been the champion on point differential, and they said, no, we're not – No, nobody's going to be a champion. Whereas in France, PSG was winning, I think, by 47 points. Yeah, we saw and, that in uh, October. They, they made that yeah, win yeah, yeah. in October. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, so they did. But Amiens, and I've actually been to their stadium called the Unicorn. I saw Stoke City play there in, in a friendly. 
uh, they're actually launching a petition to restore Ligue 1 uh, and to have a 22-team league next year with no drops. And so that's going to be pretty interesting. So we'll see what happens there. Sean, it looks like La Liga is going to go, come back to action. They're, they're returning. They're starting to ask their players to come back. Um, I guess that that's all about, about the money as well because Real Madrid and Barcelona are really kind of hurting for cash right now from what I see. Uh, do you think that has a big part of what's going on there in La Liga? Yeah, I do. Well, they're already paid. They get plenty of money from the state. So why they're urging for money, I've got no idea. You know, so you've got the state propping them up. You've got their own uh, divisions of Spain pop, propping them up with cash from the... So, you know, and then I think it's the TVs. The TVs are driving it now. Mm-hmm. What, what the TVs want to do is to get it on the television so they can make money out of guys like me, you and any other person who can't get there, but they want to watch the football. The problem becomes, if it's behind closed doors, it doesn't matter because people will go to the stadium and they'll congregate and they'll go around bars and or they'll stay at home. They don't want, they want an atmosphere. That's why we go to places like we do, because there's an atmosphere there. And yep. as soon as you put football on the TV, those people are going to congregate and they'll spread the coronavirus. So in fact, it's that's a great, bizarre. yeah, it's a great segue, Sean, because we're getting, I wanted to move on to the Bundesliga. That's really the big story right now. The Bundesliga kicks off next Saturday. So next weekend, man, you know, it's, it's a return to action in Germany yeah. and, a, and a derby happens. Uh, you got Dortmund versus Schlocker and yeah. that people, people are going to stay inside for that. Yeah, they will. And so, yeah. And uh, so, PK, uh, what, what are your thoughts here? I mean, Germany, their schools are already opened up. Talk to my friend in Rostock, Germany. Today, you know, they're getting ready to start their A-levels tomorrow. Uh, the Bundesliga coming on board uh, so early, middle of May. What do you think? Do you think that's a good call? I think it's aggressive. And you look at where the Bundesliga is right now. They're, they are making an aggressive play to outset the EPL is the top league. Um, you look at what they're trying to do in the American market. They're aggressively marketing to the American fan. <sighs> Again, money is going above what I feel might be health right now. Yeah. And, it, you know, you're going to be the first ones in. They're going to be the finest watched. I mean, people are starving for footy right now. Um, if, if, if the government and everyone has said it's safe enough to do, and they set the proper precautions to do this. Have at it. I we'll we'll find the outcome. You know, it might it might be everything is copacetic and everything's fine moving forward. I would be a little hesitant, but I'm also not the one making those decisions. Well, Matt, I know that you support the Billy Goats over there, FC Cole, <laughs> and uh, and uh, but right there in Cologne, uh, three players tested positive for COVID nineteen right when they went back to training, and. I guess it's like, all right, man, have at it, buddy. We're still going to play. So do you still think it's a good thing to do? I, it, it does make me nervous for the players. You know, I, I think you're, you're going to keep the fans at home, so obviously it's not going to impact the, the, the masses. But if, if you're going to open up the, the players to risk, um, that's, that's not a good thing. So what came out of Cologne is obviously bad press for, for Bundesliga and for, for the club itself. So – Hopefully they can figure out some sort of testing strategy and some sort of way to keep the players isolated from um, family and everybody else 
um, until the season wraps up. So I don't know what those precautions are. Um, it does look like Germany as a whole kind of peaked at the end of March and their total cases have been coming down. So um, they're actually on the backslide. Um, so from the standards that the U.S. has set for itself, uh, it does look like it makes sense for them to start opening some things up. Uh, they just got to make sure they got the proper precautions for the players. Sean, have you been to Germany to watch any football? No, I've worked in Germany, but I never, I won't go and watch German football. Not when you got what? Manchester United to go. <laughs> well, I thought maybe you might, might have went. <laughs> no, I thought you might have went to Germany to no, maybe no. watch United at some point. So, no, not, but, never uh, in Germany. In fact, whatever, I've never been abroad to watch them. I don't. Think. Okay. Oh, US. Right. I've been in the US when they came to Kansas. That's the only time I've watched. That's not abroad. That doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, man. So, you know, I, now I don't know if you guys noticed this. Of course, no fans in uh, the the stands, but, but Barusa uh, Gladbach, is that right? I think I got that. Borussia Mönchengladbach. Bless you. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I know. I know exactly. Did you see that their, uh, their supporters are paying, I don't know, it's like I don't know. It's like fifty bucks to put their face on car on cardboard cutouts, and their faces are going to be in the stadiums. Did you Have guys you seen see the that? movie Goon? Yeah, yeah. Have you guys seen the movie Goon? No. It's a no. hockey movie. One, it's fantastic. But in the movie, it's one of those low budget Canadian films. Uh, and most of the crowd are cardboard cutouts. <laughs> you know, in the movie The Natural, uh, they filmed that at a stadium in Buffalo. And uh, they had cardboard cutouts. And my next door neighbor, Mike Kinneman, uh, hashtag name drop, name drop, who pitched for the Tigers uh, when he was in Double A, he actually pitched in that stadium. And you looked up there and you saw all these cardboard cutouts all over the stadium. That's so awesome. uh, that was kind of cool, you know. All right, boys. So uh, that's I, I find that interesting that that uh, Germany's going to going to kick up next weekend, boys. It costs you twenty dollars to get the Fox Sports uh, Soccer's package uh, if you just want to get it on an app on your phone, $20 a month. Uh, I looked at that today. If I wanted to upgrade my direct TV package, it was an additional $43 a month Ooh. to get all the way to Fox 2. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and get, I guess I paid the 20 bucks for the next couple months so I could watch some German footy before the Premier League comes back. But let's get going uh, here on the Premier League. And this is uh, what I find really, really interesting. The first thing I want to draw your attention to there, PK, is the Premier League standings. And the table is really, really important because the uh, first, it, Manchester City, as of now, still has no Champions League football next year. So that would mean the fifth-place team, Manchester United, would be that fourth team. So, and we have 45 points. You go all the way down to Crystal Palace at 11th, and they're at 39 points. There's only six points separating all, all those people. Roy Hodges could theoretically put Crystal Palace in the Champions League if they get hot on this restart. Conversely, look at the bottom six. That's scary. I mean, you look at that now. Listen, Norwich is going down. I mean, that's done. But if you look, actually, uh, if you start with Brighton and Hove with 29 points, they're 15th. And Aston Villa is 19th with 25. That is super tight as well. So, uh, now, PK, let's start with you. And then, Matt, I want to bring, bring up a point you've been bringing up about, about player safety. But 
PK, what do you think here? Is this, I mean, this is all about money, we know, but there's a lot of implications in here for in the table to who goes to Europe and who stays home. You know, we're sitting in a league that has 25% left to play. We're a quarter of the way left of a 38-game season. I'm not a math major, but rough math. The top is the top, the bottom is the bottom. And when I say that, it's only the bottom team and the top one or two. We know where they're going to finish. There's a lot of money in between that. You know, it's not like American sports where, you know, the bottom gets the first draft pick and they're better off in two or three years. You know, in this league – you're down a season, you know, in, this, in, the, in the sense of Sunderland, you may be down another one in a season. Yeah. Um, there's so much money to finish fourth place in, in European football. And the, and we've talked about this all season. One and two have been set since November. We knew where they, those two guys were going to end up, you know, third, fourth, fifth, and then, and then 18, 19, are the battle spots and you've got, you've got a quarter of your season left still in the wings and the balance to, to not, you know, not play those to figure it out. I mean, it, it you can't have a, a, a French or Dutch decision say nothing's going to happen. You have yeah. to figure You have to figure this out and you have to play the rest of the season to figure it out or you do nothing. And if you do nothing, I'm sorry, Liverpool, but you guys, you guys absolutely deserve it. Suck it. <laughs> no, isn't that the truth? But, you know, uh, Sean, it's, it's interesting because this is definitely about the money, the millions of dollars that uh, the teams would lose if they did not uh, participate, uh, finish the prem. Yeah. And so, I mean, I mean there's, there, there's no doubt. But let me ask you this, okay, because Brighton had a lot of home games left. Do you think it's going to it, – it's um, – the uh, competitive balance is going to be compromised because they're going to be playing in like four or five different stadiums, Wembley being one of those, it looks like. Uh, do you think it's a good idea just to have four or five different stadiums and play just a massive amount of games rolling over and over? What are your thoughts on that, Sean? Well, I look at it this way. I, I would imagine that United will be there because it's a great stadium. What I don't want to have happen is someone, the game's being played, and they won't stay home. They'll come over to the area. They'll do whatever they do. And they'll be spreading the germs around the place. And it'll be this. London's already got Heathrow. Manchester's got the airport. What we don't need is that spreading of, of uh, the fans going there to the city so they can be with, with their team. So that's the first point. As, as far as... I, I always used to like watching uh, the reserves and stuff like that. As far as the competitive edge, it's, it's already built inside you. It doesn't matter if you're playing within. I know it matters from me watching, but from an individual, if they're a good footballer, they can play in front of no one. Because you got that with Greenwood. He came up in the reserves and they played in, was it the Netherlands? Completely mm -hmm. empty stadium. And he said, it's fine. So I think they'll still play good football as long as they're fit. That, that's the other thing because, you know, Human beings, human beings, you can get lazy pretty quickly, get a few beers down, use some fish and chips and stuff like that. So as long as they're fit, I don't see playing at these different stadiums, these special stadiums, will be a problem for the football, for the well, footballers, the, as the professionals. 
what touch does on, bother me is the fans moving all around. To touch yeah. on the fitness too, I mean, nothing gets you in game shape like getting playing games. Correct. You know, we, we look at when the season starts in August and September, we see a lot of guys playing 60 minutes and things like that. It's like, it's like American baseball where, you know, pitchers are getting a hundred pitch pitch count. Yeah. Now you have to restart and now you're, you're fighting for your premier league lives or for champion yeah. champions league lives, you know, like that, you know, and we had, what was it last season when we had three injuries in the first Liverpool 20 minutes. Right. Right. Well, some United players, you know, they put them on the scales when they came back from the summer holidays and they say, no, you're not playing. You've got to drop five pounds. You've got to drop 10 pounds. And this this is what's going to be going on now. When I was in college, we had, you weighed yourself before and after. Yeah, yeah. After training. And then you can train if you didn't replenish. That's right. I was overweight, but, If someone's pushing you to train, that's one thing. But if you're doing that on your own, you know, you, it, ain't, it ain't the same as having someone chasing you around, you know, trying to get the ball mm. off you, et cetera. Game shape's not game shape. I mean, That's you right. have to play games to get that fitness in. Yeah, yeah. So, Matt, it looks like the bottom six, uh, they're going to band together. They're trying – they're like their own voting block right now. And they're, they're wanting to be a big part of the negotiations, and they're going to try to stick together to get something done. The Premier League has said, and Matt, this is going to be your question, uh, that there is no chance of getting rid of relegation after the, the COVID return. Do you agree with that, or do you think that they should uh, not have relegation promotion or maybe an expansion where there's more than 20 teams in the Prem? Uh, what, what would be your best-case scenario? I think best-case scenario is you don't do promotion relegation. And I, and I know that's unfortunate for the – I think that's unfortunate for the teams in the championship that, you know, would be, you know, contending to move up because that's a big bump up for them. But I just don't see how you can have this many teams trying to go and, and fight to, to stay in the top league, given everything we just talked about, a compressed season. The players aren't going to be fully fit. Um, you know, you got, you're going to have teams in the middle of the table. What, what are they going to have to play for? Really not much of anything. So they're going to try and do everything they can to stay healthy. And, and just get through these games so that they can wrap the season up because they're contractually obligated to. Um, I just think you're setting yourself up for a mess. And I think it just shows just another clear um, example of what we talked about a little bit last week, where I think UEFA really should be the one to step in and make a uniform decision across all the leagues so that everybody's being treated fairly and you're setting yourself up for a good Euro, a good World Cup, and um, – and just all the other, you know, things that are going to be coming up, transfer windows and all that. So I think when you got all these countries making these different decisions, and now we're even talking about not just if we're going to restart the league, but we're also going to talk about how we're going to handle promotion relegation. It's, it's just getting way too messy right now. Ah, uh, Matt, you're full of crap. I know why you don't <laughs> want promotion relegation. You lead scum. You don't want leads uh, in the prem. And that's okay. I, uh, There's nothing. No, there's nothing wrong with like, that. There's nothing I, wrong I, with I, that. Man. I'd like, I'd like to own see it, him come own up. It. No, I want to see him come up. I want to play him. I want to see that rivalry come back. That'd oh, be great. Man. It's been a long hey, time. Uh, Sean, is that one of the best places to watch football outside of Old Trafford? Uh, there at, uh, was it Elon Stadium? Ellen, there in uh, Leeds. Ellen, Ellen is, is that a great place to watch football? Yeah, it's, it's really odd you should ask that question because I've, I've been practicing Zoom with a buddy of mine and when United came up from the second division, 74, 75, yeah, 
So we ended up going to the game, but my next door neighbor was a diehard Leeds fan. He, he, he was like, he loved them. He you guys were neighbors? Balls, <laughs> what, what he did, sorry, what did you say, Pat? I said, you guys are neighbors? Yeah, we were living next door to one another. Oh, yeah, nice. in those days, the, the, the demarcation as far as football didn't care. There'd be a City fan over there, Liverpool fan two doors away, a Leeds fan next door. Anyway, he said, I've got your ticket. So he took me to Elland Road when uh, Tommy Doherty bought them back up from the second division. And I was in the Spion Cop, the Spy on Cop, which is the Leeds end. And the buddy of mine was in the opposite end in the he got a Man United away ticket so he was uh, <laughs> <laughs> the abuse that they got uh, this guy obviously he said jump in the car talk, drove me to Leeds we walked and he said keep your gob shot if they score and we battered them we battered them 2-0 I think Sammy McElroy scored uh, he, he took me out of the stadium put me in his car and drove me back home my, the mate my friend Paul he said they were chasing us. They were lobbing bricks at them. <laughs> <laughs> they got ambushed the four good times. The good so stuff. one poor bastard got a Man United fan got arrested, and the coppers didn't have handcuffs, so they put him around a lamp post and put these tie knots. So he said, "I'm coming to arrest you." Later. Oh no! And they left him there, and all the Leeds fans were going kicking him, pissing on him. <laughs> <laughs> They just left him there. When they got to the railway station, they got ambushed again. He oh. Said, oh my god! <laughs> Good old days. Oh, Leeds come, Leeds come. Oh man. Oh yeah. yeah, that's interesting. So talk about uh, promotion relegation here, guys. And I think that's a a, a really interesting uh, uh, discussion because, uh, man, you're coming you're coming cold for all this time and trying to stay up and down, and the, the, but I don't think there's going to be a playoff for that third spot. And I, I, I maybe if you guys heard anything about that, I know it's two up, two down, but, uh, uh, but I don't know about the third spot. Uh, is it just going to be three up, three down with no playoff? Has anybody heard that? Mm-mm. Well, thank no, I, I don't think, I don't think they've gotten that far yet. Yeah. Okay. All right. You know, surprising, so, Brad, I have not done my homework for this one either. <laughs> So, and I haven't heard that yet either, so I don't know. But here's the thing. League one and league two, the walk-up revenue for them is 25% of their take-in. So, no fans, no uh, no uh, souvenirs, no food, <laughs> anything like that. That really hurts league one, league two. And they say there's a legit chance that a quarter of league one, league two fold Unless they restructure the wage, uh, the wage, the wage structures, uh, uh, how that that's all worked out, or they have a salary cap. Uh, so that's a phenomenal article I sent you guys, uh, and it's out. It's in the Guardian, and it just talks about how League One and League Two could be in financial dire straits, regardless of what happens, because I don't think they're going to play any games. Uh, so. But anyway, I think that's pretty interesting. So I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, also, by the way, guys, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but Liverpool uh, recently has a new kit sponsor. Uh, what's their kit sponsor now? Standard something? Standard, Bank, Standard Charter. I think it's yeah, Standard yeah, Charter. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Uh, well, right now, I, I, I look at this. Hubcaps. It, well, no, no, it's it's hubcap tire and wheel. It, it's an online uh, company. Signed no. a 20, 20 year kit deal. Twenty year kit <laughs> deal. Yeah, man, hubcap tire and wheel. I'm pulling and up so, the notes now. There you go, man. You got checked. And you oh go my online, god, it is. You can order any kind of hubcap you want to, and that is going to be the new kit sponsor. Oh, that's for, too good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the new kit sponsor for the jokes. Just write themselves. I, I know. Tell me about it. I know. So, but uh, Sean. So, I guess the big question is: Did you ever have any hubcaps stolen in Liverpool? Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I had um, a company car, brand new company car. All four of them went missing one night. <laughs> <laughs> what they used to do is come on the railway with big duff old bag, old old bags and you know, raid a place and put them all in and then get back on the train back to Liverpool line. <laughs> Feed the scousers. Let them know it's Christmas time. I'm picturing that picture like the logo is going to be like the Detroit Red Wings where it's a hubcap. No, there's going to be hands on the hubcap. You know when they're stealing it. Yeah, the wings is two hands just like, yep. That's right, man. My hubcap stolen. Oh, man. Yeah. All right, so boys, man, and we're gonna we're, we'll go back to any of this stuff when we do our wrap up portion of the show. <laughs> but I want to get on the reason why I asked Sean Tracy to come on the show. Uh, he is a Mank, uh, born and bred, just like Marcus Rashford. And but uh, I wanted to come on the show because, uh, like you guys, uh, I've had some free time on my hands, and I've been watching some thirty for thirty specials. Those ESPN uh, documentaries are just amazing. Uh, the Georgie Best one was just phenomenal. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the one about uh, the New York Cosmos. I mean, that was an amazing uh, footy uh, skit, uh, uh, documentary. But the 30 for 30 on Hillsboro was almost like a novel, all right? Uh, almost like a novel. And so it, because as it unfolds, you're like, no way, this can't happen. No way, this can't, you know, this isn't happening. Uh, the reason why I'm going to bring it up, I'm actually going to go to the bottom of the notes and then Sean's going to talk about Hillsborough itself. But Man United now, next season, is going to trial this barrier seating uh, when you stand up, you know, where you stand up in a sort of, uh, section of Old Trafford. And, Sean, did, didn't Old Trafford used to have the barrier seating years ago? No, when, when I started watching them, you were basically all standing areas and what's called a crash barrier. So... The standing areas, and I'll, I'll show you this in a little bit, and I'll read you the prices, but you had the Stretford end, the scoreboard end, and then the paddocks, which were basically the areas closest to the football stage, football pitch. And that was all standing. But what you had is what they call crash barriers. And what the crash barriers were basically is like an elongated U-shaped metal rammed into the concrete. And what that stopped is more than 10 to 15 people pushing forward onto the next 10 to 15 people. So the metal barriers actually stopped what they call a crush, a, a big crush. Because it's like an av one, when, when it was the craziest and the big games, what you'd get is an avalanche <clears throat> of human beings. They have no control over what's going on. So what they do is they just rush forward because someone's pushing from behind but these barriers what they do 
is they absorb the pressure. It's uncomfortable, but as long as you're reasonably fit in your belly, you're all right. Plus, you can use your hands. And that, and that, that was where, that's the Stretford end and then the scoreboard end. So the Stretford end is the west stand. So when you're looking at it from the TV, you look to the left, that's the Stretford, and then, which is the west, and then the east stand is the scoreboard end. And that was all standing. So there was no, you couldn't see, sit anywhere. You had to stand through the match. And the only, th and the things protecting you were these crash barriers. And I've got bruised and a bit hurt, but there was no, I don't think there was any deaths or any, any problems. The biggest one was in Glasgow. And if you look at the, go online, Celtic, Glasgow Celtic, it's the Ibrox disaster. If you want to go online, look at the Ibrox disaster, because the same thing happened there. They were exiting the stadium at 3-0 down, and I think the opposing team scored twice. Everyone started running back. So you had all these people coming up, all these other people coming back, and you just had a nightmare of a situation. Oh, wow. So the man, power oh, of man. people, the power of human beings when they go, is, is incredible. If they, when they're moving in the right direction, it's incredible. So was it just, was it like a stadium design flaw or was it just, you know, wrong, it, that, wrong the Ibrox wrong time? Was a, was a stadium design problem because what they, once they got out, they should have let, got them out, but they didn't. They let them out and then all these people, they, they scored and then they started roaring. Then all these people rushed back in. So mm. that's what, so if you look online, it's called the Ibrox disaster. Now that wow. was in the 50s. Wow. Well, so and so now when you move on to the Hillsborough disaster, and for people that aren't familiar with this, Hillsborough is is Sheffield Wednesday Stadium, the home of Sheffield, and Sheffield Wednesday right now is in the championship. So that's where it initiated. And I'm not going to go through the whole story, but the bottom line is it's a match Liverpool versus Nottingham Forest. <laughs> in the FA Cup semifinal, and they, uh, they let too many people in barrier seating. And when they did, uh, you had uh, uh, this rush of people. And then uh, I believe, how many, was it 96 or 98? It was 92. It's in the 90s. Yeah, I'm looking through my notes right here. And so 96, 96, yes. Right. Okay, and so and, – then they uh, immediately, they started testing these people, saying, oh, they were just hooligans. Uh, they uh, were, were drunk. drunk. And yeah. so they were, they were doing uh, a DWI testing, on, or uh, not DWI, but uh, uh, alcohol level testing on all the corpses. And that was the narrative. And people had been fighting this. In fact, a, a uh, the case was put off again February of 2020. All right. So, I mean, this is still going on. So as I brought this up to Sean, Sean says, hey, I've been to that stadium and I can see why that was a, a catastrophe. So Sean, could you kind of walk us through when you went to Hillsboro and how that uh, barrier seating worked there at the home of Sheffield Wednesday? Right. I'll try next. Can I share my screen? I'll try and explain because it's, I don't think people realize how, how devastating that was. And in many respects, unlucky as well. So, oh, you can't, I can't share my screen, Rhett. Rhett. 
Okay. Well, I, I think you can. It says right in the middle at the bottom. It should say share content. Share screen. It says all disabled attendees. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, I, all right. I'll have to talk through it then. Uh, I'll tell you what. Try it now. We're new to this, so. Yeah. Right. Can you see that? Uh, no. 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 Well, shoot. Oh, well, we tried. That's all right, Sean. Go ahead, go ahead and walk us through. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that story. So basically, uh, United played very well that season when we watched them, and they got into the semi-finals. Now, the, now it's different because Wembley's around, but in those days, they always picked a neutral <laughs> venue, and they picked Hillsborough. So Hillsborough is a borough of Sheffield. Wait a minute, Sean. Why, why was Sheffield uh, or, or Hillsborough, why was it considered a good venue for the FA Cup? Why do you right. think? Because you could cram a lot of people in there. And what you have to think about is the opponent. So what I was going to show you is a map. But if you pick up a map that includes Manchester, Sheffield and Derby, what they do is... They have to separate the fans because if they meet on motorways and stuff like that, they'll beat each other up. So what we did, they picked Sheffield because it's like on a triangle with Derby. Derby's off to the east. Manchester is sort of like to the west. And then Sheffield's <coughs> like top of the pyramid. Well, basically, Sean, Sean how, long, how far is, she is uh, Sheffield... Sheffield Wednesday Stadium from Manchester. About an hour and about an hour and a half, an hour, about an hour and fifteen to ninety minutes. Now from okay. Derby, it's about so an hour. St. Louis to Columbia, Missouri. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So United come in. We travel in coaches and cars. We come in from the traveling from the west to the east to Sheffield. Derby is down on the south side, so they come up from the other side. So we ended up being allocated Lepping's Lane. So that's basically, when you watch, and I've got a, a video of it, I'll send it. But anyway, go on YouTube, 1976, Derby versus Man United, FA Cup semi-final, Hillsborough. We were on the left side, which is the Lepping's Lane side. What that meant is all our coaches would park on that side, Derby would be on the other side, so therefore we don't get to mix except outside the ground. So all I remember is going in there, and as soon as I went in there, it was terrifying because everyone was trying to get to the front. If you look on the footage, there's a big tunnel there. You go through a, a barrier, a ticketing area, there's these gates, and then you end up going into the tunnel, and then you end up closest, fairly close, to the to the to the ground. Now, hooliganism was there, so they put fences up to stop people going on the ground. So what you've got is this massive amount of people. They wanted people so they could make money. So they just crammed us in there. It was all horrible, really, for about 30 minutes until the game started. What we figured out was there's pens there that you got pushed into. But other guys were saying, well, no, there's room over there. So other guys managed to get out and, and push themselves into this other area and behind the goal and on the other side of the goal. That relieved all the pressure. 
And when the game started, it was, it was still packed. A buddy of mine used to talk about the atmospheric pressure. The atmosphere in there was absolutely intense. You were crushed. I could, at times, you couldn't breathe. And when it was people saying, shouting up, stand still, stand still, because what they didn't want is the avalanche that I talked about. Because what you've got is concrete below you, and then a, metal, a person in front of you, a person in front of them, and then these metal long U-shaped bars. There's nothing to sit on. You can't sit down. You're just stuck there in this one position. The, the oddest thing is, within about five minutes of the game starting, everyone's mind was off. What was, and they just watched the football, and it actually seemed to calm down until Gordon Hill scored the first goal at the other end and it was an amazing goal a, a, a lefty uh, bender like a bend it like Beckham and then they turned around but I'll never forget that first we got there probably an hour before kickoff and it was painful for around about three three quarters of an hour so Sean I want to ask you this so you talked about the uh, uh, that type of seating at Old Trafford can you tell what's the difference between how Old Trafford's standing area was and Hillsborough's standing area? The same. Same? Hillsborough's was exactly the same as United's. You had, ter they call them terraces. So imagine small steps, which start mm -hmm. at the top and they just graduate down. And then you've got a different, the steps were about six inches or so. And then you've got these massive big U-shaped, a flat U, if you imagine. Six right. Foot metal bar. And that's the crash barrier to stop too many people crushing forward. So, Sean, uh, so I, uh, of course, we know, I mean, it's a tragedy with Liverpool supporters uh, dying like that. Did Manchester United supporters, did they uh, uh, create chants uh, uh, about Hillsborough, about the Liverpool player, about the Liverpool no, no, deaths? I, I don't. No, n not in those days. You, you, you wouldn't really dare it. There's this, you know, I, I know there's a, I think the hatred got worse. There was, there was a lot of friendliness, i got to say, back in the 70s and 80s. I always mm -hmm. remember Bobby Charlton used to tell, well, Bobby Charlton said that when United played Liverpool, the coach would stop outside Bobby Charlton's house and the manager would come in and they'd have a couple of cups of tea before the coach made the mm -hmm. way to there. So, <coughs> I, the nastiness, well, it's been going on, but it's nothing like when it was in the 70s and 80s like that. I guess that's what I'd say. I won't be singing about Hillsborough. Cause well, the I'm, reason why I asked that, Sean, is because uh, as soon you know the Munich disaster, there's so Liverpool, many United chance against L Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but the problem then become is when they're on top, they're the top dog. You know, they just take the piss out of everyone. But since that's gone round, now they're getting a bit nasty with it all. So I think I think it's a bit of uh, humble pie sort of thing that they're no longer on top. So you know, what are they going to do? Hurt us with chance. So. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, I know I know PK and Matt have some questions for you, Sean, about this. So I'm going to uh, take let you guys take it away there. All right. All well, right. It, and my question is, I mean, you look at the MLS designs 
on the new stadiums. And right now, the huge thing with MLS stadium designs is a supporter's wall. You know, kind of that standing bridge side of it. Um, you see Old Trafford introducing that here. Are, are we – is there a new generation of soccer fan that you've seen in Europe? I mean, America's a new budding force of soccer support. Um, but, you know, Old Trafford introducing kind of the rail standing system. Is it just – has the hooliganism disappeared? Or, you know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to say – fans are becoming soft i'm gonna say maybe they're more mature um i you know that that's kind of where the whole the bounce is you tell yeah. me when you grew up in them more than i did you know i was i was the kid that watched monday night football um you know where they condensed soccer games growing up because we didn't have as we didn't have the access to football growing up it, it is as Europe did. So you tell me, is that what's going on right now? Just a change in, in supportership or, you know, you educate me, please. Right. So this is what I, I'll, 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 I'll try to help you out with that. People stand at Old Trafford all the time now. It's perfectly safe. But what they can't get away from is the memories of what used to go on in the 70s and the 80s, etc. And they stand, Stratford End, when you look at it, everyone's standing up. So the major issue, as I see it, was three things. The Hillsborough. The Hillsborough was dangerous anyway because the police completely messed up that, that afternoon. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. there was other opportunities for people to get hurt. But they wanted the cash, they wanted the revenue, and it was a good way to do it. There's other games where there was people on the... the behind the goal trenched out because it was so bad that fence the two things the fence to stop the hooligans that i don't think there's hooligans now i think they've learned the lesson there were so massive socio-economic issues going on at the time uh too much testosterone too much beer etc and that caused it there's still people that want to fight and you'll never get away from that but a disaster like that won't be affected by the standing areas at Old Trafford. If anything, I think they're going to use this as a way to get standing back in other areas. It's more like an experiment to say, people are standing all the time as it is. So what's the point of having a seat there? If you know what I mean. So sure. I think that's what they're going to try and do. The biggest issues then was the hooliganism. That caused the fences to go in, which was a big issue, because at Hillsborough and at left when I was there, you couldn't get you, you couldn't rescue yourself, you couldn't jump on the pitch, you know, getting beaten by a copper with a truncheon because you're trespassing on the pitch. That's fine, you're not gonna die. And that's what so you had, you had the police messed up and that fence basically crushed them. I couldn't breathe at times at Leppings Lane, 1976. Now, I'm not the biggest guy, but I was with some pretty hefty boys that are uh, you know, a lot bigger than me, and they were struggling as well. If you mix that in with girls, young supporters, granddads, dads, that's, that's what caused the Hillsborough disaster. That fence and then the Sheffield police opening those gates to, to relieve the pressure outside. I talked mm. about that, the, the tunnel, and if, if you look on YouTube, 
you'll see that tunnel and there's a poor guy being dragged up up onto the upper deck that tunnel should never it, it was it should never have been there they should have had multiple tunnels to get the because you came through and you just pushed forward what you didn't know is over there to your left there was other entrances into other pens but you went straight down this one tunnel and there was a pen there that then contained you and because it was so tight you couldn't get back back out of the pen and then move along to go in there to go into the pens on the other side if you know what i mean so sure sure it was, it was a Anyway, I lived through it. Yeah. Well, Bradford Matt, what, was a mess. Matt, what do you got? Matt, what do you got for us, man? Yeah, so I I tried to watch the thirty for thirty, and maybe um, a few minutes after they started showing, you know, the bodies getting carried out, I had to turn it off. It was honestly one of the most depressing things I've ever watched. Um, so it is kind of tough to talk <laughs> talk about because I, I you know I think about going back and watch it and you just you know you hear the families talk about their family and loved ones who who died but um you know one of the things that the documentary talked about is it it did kind of talk about the the Liverpool fan responsibility if there was responsibility and I, I'm not trying to get into super controversial territory here trying to have you um Sean kind of um you know make Sean a controversial a statement huh Sean needs a beer oh. for this question. <laughs> yeah, Dad. So, so I, the reason why I thought of this question is you, Sean, were actually sharing some details that weren't really brought up in the documentary, at least that I didn't remember, that, that talks a little bit more about certain things with, with the stadium. Um, and then also the fact that, you know, United was designed in a very – or Old Trafford was designed in a very similar way. So I guess, I guess my thought – my question is, team aside – what role did the fans have in what happened? And, I, and I'm not saying it was because they're Liverpool fans that they did this. I'm sure this probably happened in other games as well. One of the problems was that you had a whole bunch of fans without tickets, you know, running past security to get to the game. And obviously they're not abiding by the rules. Um, is that being downplayed in terms of, you know, the cause? Like, what's your take on the whole thing? Do you think the Liverpool fans should be um, excused from all responsibility? So, okay, <laughs> the people that died got in there early. Okay, that's the first thing you need to think about. The people that caused this problem got in late. Now, mm. they're either bad planning or they stopped and maybe had a beer or they'd had mechanical problems. I'm just guessing. I don't know. What is clear, though, is outside, and, and this is my point about playing behind closed doors. And I know, I know people that for the, when United won the treble, they flew to Spain without a ticket on the off chance of picking something up. And it's not just one or two. It's, it was hundreds of them because they'd go for the party and then they'd watch the game. And I'm pretty damn sure you had a lot of people outside that stadium that shouldn't have been there. Now, some could be late. Some could be, you know, uh, they got delayed at work. That, that, that's fine. So, so I guess part of so was that common though? Was that something that happened a lot, like at a lot of games where people would just rush into the stadium because they yep. can't get past security, or was it a pro, was it a problem just at Hillsborough because you know it sounded like the police and security were real bad, or because I think I 
I think it's possible that the Liverpool fans are unfairly blamed for what happened because you had a whole so. bunch of them. Okay. You had a whole bunch of them without a ticket rush in. No. But it sounds like based on what you said, probably a common problem, probably a design flaw, and we shouldn't even be talking about it in that manner. No, I don't think Liverpool had anything to do with this. The okay. FA Cup, a semi-final is massive. And I showed Rhett my uh, token sheet. Just getting a ticket, you have to have one of these and you have a, a program. You get a, you get to buy a program, you get a token, you get the token and you, this is for, the, this is actually for the one that I got a ticket to watch United against Liverpool the, the year after, which was 77. The problem was, is the police bottled it that day. They all, there was a crush going on outside with all the mass of people and they should have let them dissipate, let them go home, just let them get out of it. And they didn't. They opened a door to ease the rush, the crush outside. And then they went through that door. And I told you about the tunnel. There's no signs to say, go to the left. And it's a big tunnel. And they went straight through. And that's okay. what caused. And the people that got killed were there on time. It's the people at the front yeah. against a fence that couldn't move and if wow. you've got an old guy you've got a young guy if, if you're not the best part of 200 and built like an nfl linebacker you're going to struggle man uh, and that's why i had sean, Thanks, sean. yeah man I, that's just just powerful stuff because sean has been there and also because of the trial barrier seating that's going to be coming up and i thought sean could give us a lot of perspective on that oh, really uh, good. P, pk how did you get Lyle to open up uh, uh, <laughs> the Amsterdam and uh, get man, you got a front row seat right here, man. I, you know, uh, by the way, the the pod is sponsored sponsored by Sports Direct and Amsterdam Tavern. Boy, uh, PK, you you had the connection. I have an inside guy. I'm not going to name any names, but it's Billy. <laughs> and so, which, but, but we by, pod, let me in. He said, "Yes, sir." So, by the way, uh, Billy's birthday today. Hey, happy birthday, Billy Holly. All right. So, yeah, he's my second favorite bartender behind Isaac at uh, uh, on the Love Boat. That was my favorite bartender. I just saw that post. That was hilarious. <laughs> Is that great? I love that, man. All right, boys, let's talk about Manchester United, latest and greatest, all right? And this is how we're going to end the pod here. Uh, we got about 10 minutes left, all right? Hey, Rhett, First. Can I make yes. one thing? Can I just say one thing about back on it? Of Hill? course. You've talked enough. Liverpool fans are massively passionate about their football. So that, that's what you've got to think about. And the chance to try and get to a semi-final is there. I'll tell you one other sobering thought. The map I was going to show you is basically how they take... So someone from the west goes in the Leppings Lane stand. Someone from the east side or the south would go in the other stand. Notts Forest were the guys who were given... The other side. Liverpool got Lepping Lane. Forrest got the other side. Guess who Forrest beat in the quarterfinal to get into the semis? United. United, 1-0. Mm. So this, wow. Think about could this. have been us. It could have been United. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm, man, oh man. You look at the map. What they'd have done is it a target to Liverpool to come up the M62. They joined the M1. Come down on the east side of Sheffield, and they'd have pushed United on the Woodhead Pass into the Leppings Lane. 
So if United had beat Notts Forest, we'd have been in Lepping's Lane in 1989. Man. It sounds that, like talking war stories. Isn't it, though? That, that's – Sean, man, I'm, thanks, thank you so much for yeah. taking right, your time I, to come on. I just on. like to clear that up. So, yeah, yeah they're full of passionate. So, I don't blame them going, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. I, you know, anyway. Great stuff. Great wow. stuff. We're, we're going to end the show about Manchester United, boys. We got some stuff we're going to talk about here. And let's start off first. Uh, I think the Prem's going to start up middle of June. Uh, Manchester United has asked all overseas players to come back to training. So you're going to start seeing those guys uh, return, uh, and they're going to start. Uh, they're going to come back to Carrington, and they're going to be starting to play. Um, so, boys, let's let's move it. Let's kind of jump ahead a little bit. Let's have some fun. So, once Manchester United gets back into training, what do you think is going to be United's best starting eleven? And the first question I'm going to ask is about about uh, PK to you about David De Gea. Obviously going to be our number one. Do you think Dean Henderson could be the number one next year? Not next year. Not next year. I, I think De Gea has probably three more seasons left with us, and I think he moves on. Um, you're starting to see the yips a little bit with De Gea, which scares the hell out of me. He's such a talented goalie. Um, but I've always said he's, he's an excellent shot stopper, but if he has to think, he gets in trouble. And that's where you're seeing the yips, the softballs, the 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 mishits. Uh, I think De Gea has one to two, maybe three more years off United, and then we then we move on. You know, that's a guy. Dean Henderson is actually being talked about to being called up to the uh, England squad, which, uh, considering that uh, Jordan Pickford is their number one right now, I can see that. But I think he's got a legit chance. Um, Matt, when you look at our back four here, I got Shaw. McGuire, Lindelof, and Juan Basaka. On that back four, do you see? Would you replace any of those? Uh, any of those four? The only guy I would consider replacing would be Lindelof. You know, he he's been a little shaky this year, and and Bailly's working hard to come back. I, I shared with you guys a workout video from him the other day. The guy's an absolute beast. Um, and maybe this extended time away is going to be really good for him. I, I mentioned Kurt Warner. Um, had really been struggling there for a while because of a thumb injury. And then he finally had – he had to sit out for a while. I can't remember exactly what it was. Came back, played for the Cardinals, and went back to another Super Bowl. So that extended time away can do players a lot of good. And, and, and Baye is one of these guys that just has a um, – he's got a weird schedule with the African Cup of Nations. I don't think he's ever really had a long period of time to heal. So I, I, I would like to maybe see what Baye can do, bring him in, see with him and McGuire um, – both can be very aggressive uh, going forward with the ball, which I think it would help us out a lot. Um, and, and definitely quite a bit of steel, maybe a little more steel than what Lindall Scott. So I think the other, the other three out there make total sense to me. Sean, and, and I know you would, you would consider taking Lindelof off as well. Because you believe Phil Jones should be in that spot, is that correct? Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to forward Phil Jones. Oh, goal against Shrewsbury, absolute classic, absolute. Shrewsbury men's league, they play off on uh, the soccer dome. <laughs> yeah. I saw it, Phil Jones, Jones. It's Phil Jones, always believe in yeah. Phil Jones. Indestructible, he's he indestructible. Has the power to score. score. We never do that. Right that, that's exactly how it sounds like. That's how it should. Perfect. <laughs> that was perfect. That, was really good work, that chant goes the way he plays. 
I know. <laughs> PK, not told everyone enjoys it. Let's look at the middle of the park for a minute here because I have Paul Pogba and Scott McTominay, and I believe Pogba's going to be fit to play, which is phenomenal. But the question is, and, and I know it may seem like an odd one, but, man, we've been talking about Fred all season long. Fred sits on the bench in this scenario. Do you agree with Pogba and McTominay starting in that position? PK. PK. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, I, I love Fred. He's been great. But if Pogba's healthy and engaged, he has to be on the field. Um, I think Fred's been great this year. I, I really do. But if he's healthy and engaged, I would take a Pogba over Fred, which is the first time I think in like two or three seasons that where I've said yes to Paul Pogba. Wow. Matt, would you, you agree with that, that midfield pairing there? Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. I, I think, you know, it, it allows Bruno to play a little bit more up in the 10 role, which he talked about recently in an article saying that he would love to be able to play there. Um, I think it does allow Pogba to be a bit more box-to-box. And McTominay has shown that he's really starting to settle down, and, and the kid's big. So he can hang back, play in front of the front four, and kind of help anchor things down there, which allows Pogba to kind of run free a little bit um, and kind of – play those long balls that we talk about and, and be a little bit more of a quarterback to set up the, the rest of the attack and, and then get the ball up to Bruno. So I think that's actually the, the best spot for, for those two, for sure. Sean, I have Rashford, who will be healthy, by the way. Bruno uh, sitting, sitting behind Martial, along with Mason Greenwood on the, the right-hand side. Uh, do you agree with that attacking option, or would you rather see somebody else on the pitch? Well, I, I, yeah, I, I'd like that. I'd, I'd, what I also like is a bit of rotation as well. I don't know. I, I don't think there'll be any Champions League. I've said this before. Next year, I, don't, I think we'll only have the Premier League, Carabao, and the FA Cup. I don't think they're going to risk doing the Champions League and the Europa, but that's my opinion. If they do it, then I want to see them rotate. And I want Ollie to be strong enough and say, right, you're on the bench this time. I'm going to put this guy in place. We'll get Mason. Is Gomez still around? You know, I still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw him play at the last game of the season with when Jose was still here. Jose just flung them on the youngsters, and they were great. Yeah, I want to yeah. see. A bit, I want to see a bit more of that now. If we've got Champions League or Europe, Europa. I want to see much more rotation to get them in like they did when they when they played in near Uzbekistan. Remember that? And they put the yeah. youth there. Remember mm-hmm. that? They played the mm-hmm. U20s. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Martial, when he's up for it. Rashford, Gomez, uh, Greenwood. Get, get them going. The other one is uh, the defender, Brandon, Brandon Williams. Yeah. Good yeah. He's good. He, he was awesome. You know, mm. great goal at Sheffield when he scored it against Sheffield. He might so. be Luke Shaw's replacement. Yeah. I think so, too. I think I that's, well, that's a real possibility. You've got to get them playing with each other. So We're not we deep enough to have replacements yet. You're correct, Sean, on the rotation. Yeah. I mean, such yeah. a long season. Because that's what uh, Fergie was good at. It was like you had a Rolls-Royce, you know. You didn't have a – you had a Rolls-Royce for every game. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, when you look at those old matches, Sean, uh, they go, all right, and today we got Ryan Giggs sitting on the bench along with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, and you're like – Not dressing Paul Scholes. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, whoa, what's going on there? That's just crazy. Uh, PK, do you think that this formation really turns into like a 4-1-4-1? You've got the personnel to do that. You've got the um, – I, you know, I don't think that lends possession, but the way they're starting to run and gun, 100%. You got McTominay sitting in front of the back four, who's an outlet that can distribute. You've got a midfield that can pressure on top of a long ball. Um, you've got some top guys that are starting to hold the ball a little bit and you can play off them. So yeah, a four, one, four, one totally makes sense with what, what we're offering right now. Is it the way I like to play? Absolutely not. But is it the way Manchester United can play a hundred percent? And there, I think the EPL started to go back to the, the, the long ball and pressure deep and then muscle your way through it. I think the EPL is going back to that slowly, but surely. Uh, I put Greenwood in here, and guys, I want to raise a point about this because all I'm hearing about is Jaden Sancho signing and Jack Greeley signing and all that kind of stuff. That's because you if keep Mason, talking about it, right? I know, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. But no, but but I want you to think about this: if Mason Greenwood right now were playing for anybody else in the world, 17, I, I don't even know if he said Super his 18th star. birthday yet, scored 12 goals, Super we'd be star. say we'd be offering it, uh, you know, 80 million. To bring him into United. But because he plays for United, we're like, oh, I guess he's okay. This dude, man, this guy's a goal scorer. Do you think we're undervaluing Mason Greenwood because he plays for us? I think so. I think that's I think that's a fair point. When when you see the kid every other, you know, every every day, some of that mystique goes away. You know, you when it's somebody when they're playing for another team, there's a little bit of that mystery, a little bit of that extra excitement. Um, you know, the people that really, really know United and follow the youth teams, they've, they've known Greenwood for a while, and they want to see him come good, but they want to see it come the right way. So we want to be cautious. He's one of our own, and you want to make sure it absolutely works. You want it to finally pay off. And I mm -hmm. think when you've been watching him since he was a little kid, and now he's, start, he's still a kid, you know, but once he starts to see make his way up, I think you just, you're hoping for the best for him because you know him so well. So I don't know if it's necessarily undervalue. I think it's just cautious optimism because you know the kid. So I, I want him to start. When I look at your formation, Rhett, I think I'd actually rather see him up top and, and playing that, that striker position up top where you got Martial. I think, I think um, Greenwood's a better uh, finisher than the other two. And, mm. and I, think, I think Martial and Rashford from the wings can cut in and do quite a bit more. Problem is, is that Greenwood can't hold up play like Martial should be able to. Yeah, he's not yeah. bigger. Yeah, he's not big enough. Yeah. but he's smart enough to do that. And I think yes. part of part of the the reason that no one talks about him because they know he's not going anywhere. He was a Sporting Lisbon or one of those con one of those teams that you know shuffle guys, develop a guy, and then sell mm -hmm. him. It'd be one thing, but he he's a United player. He's going to be a United player. There's no reason to talk about him being transferred or sold anywhere else. Right. Sean, you, you saw Wayne Rooney play at Goodison Park when he was 17 years old. Can, is there any comparison between Mason Greenwood and Wayne Rooney? No. Plus, <laughs> as a beast. Who would you pick at 17 right now? Rooney or Greenwood? Rooney. I'd still pick Rooney. There's something special about it. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's that like what that je ne sais quoi. That's something about Rooney, and I think there still is about. I think he's still got it. No, what, what age is he now? Thirty. 
37? No, man, he's not that old. I think he's 33. Right. Yeah, I still think yeah. he's got it about him. So I mean, my favorite sport is hockey, and I always said I loved Rooney because he was a hockey player that played soccer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had a chip on his shoulder. A and a if you dog. hit him, he'd hit you harder and yeah. move right on. Well, and here's the thing. Right now, with his legs gone, I would take him on United side so I could bring him into the 75th minute and take any free kick that's coming yeah. coming our way. He's still one of the best free kick takers. Take a uh, free kick, defend the 18. Ed, the score good with his head. Yeah, strong. I'll tell you one thing I'll bring in here, and I know the, uh, the economy is not so good, and I don't think it's going to be very good for the Glaziers. And I don't think it's that good for United. So, as far as spending big, I think old uh, Edward and his team are saying, well, let's see what we can get by with, with what we've got. So, I'm not sure there'll be any big money spending going on. I would imagine the, the, the business empire side of it in the US is hurting pretty big. And I, mm-hmm. I'm a bit worried about money being moved from uh, Manchester to support, you know, the moles and all the stuff that goes on with the, yeah. the Blazer family. So, but I don't know. I might be wrong. Well, and there's going to be some clubs hurting too where, you know, they might move a guy for 10 to 15 million less than they would have six months ago. Yeah, well, yeah. You might pick someone up. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. You're, you're not going to have 100 million, 150 million uh, pound signings uh, th- this off season. I do feel like if Villa goes down, uh, if Grealish wants to come, we'll be able to get him for 50, 60 million pounds. Yeah. I think, yeah, that, I, I, yeah. I agree with that. I, yeah. I was just going to say when Ed made the other day, made the comment the other week about there not being any mega signings, I don't think he was saying that we're not going to spend. I think he knows if we can get a player or two, there's an opportunity for us to start doing some big things. I think he's saying exactly what you're saying is that you're not going to have these massive deals that are breaking records that's not going to happen well i, so I think they'll the, be they'll be spending the rich, for sure the rich are going to get richer and yep. the poor are going to get poorer yep. well i think he was in response to that was when all the rumors were swirling around we were going to spend 200 million pounds on harry kane yeah. and that's just not going to happen i don't think those transfers are around for the next four or five years i mean you however i will say this I'll, let me let me jump in real quick pk because the Spurs were counting on NFL money two games a year. Which they've already not said no to. Yeah, they're, and they're not getting that revenue now. And I think the Spurs are going to have to sell. I think you're going to see them go back to old-fashioned Spurs like it was pre-Gareth Bale, where yes. you know, they were – The Grant Friedel days. Yes, exactly. I think, that. I think they're going to be – I think they're going to be like 8 to 12th on the table for a while. What do you guys think? I think the rich are going to get richer and, and, you know, the other side of it. Um, you look at clubs like, you know, we're Grealish. You know, an extra $5 million is going to stretch a long way. You look at the whole – the Dundee um, Dundee FC over at Scotland, you know, I'm partial them because of John Elms and all that stuff. But, and they held out the Scottish League vote because they're like, listen, 5 or $6 million by not going up is going to cost us a lot. You know, there, there's a lot of dire straits with clubs right now where, you know, if you can sell a player like Grealish, you know, you might not get the 60, but, you know, that 50 or 45 is really going to help you out. That may keep your club up, afloat. Exactly. I mean, look at the Bolton, and, and look I, at the Bolton I, Wanderers right now, man. Bolton can't even make payroll. 
exactly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Great you know, team, it, Fantastic yeah. team. And it's, it's, it's one or two players that, you know what, yeah. you don't get 60, but maybe you get 44 and you're happy with it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah By the way, that end up like Spain. You know what I mean? Where you've got two or three teams and the rest are just there. Well, and Spain's got Spain's gotten better the last four or five years where it was one and two, and then it was one, two, and three. Yeah. yeah. It was one, two, three, four. But I think that whole dynamic is going to collapse here in the next three to four years because of this, too. Yeah. Well, because we're desperate for money. Yeah, that's yeah. state support or government support. Mm. But you know, Real and Barcelona, both their youth squads are not nearly as good as they once were. They're not developing that talent anymore. And here's the thing Real does not have Ronaldo, and Messi is 33. Uh, this, and he's not the same player that Ronaldo is. Great, great player, but he's, but he's little and he's a technical player and he can't take the bumps and bruises. So, uh, I, I think that's going to be something else, uh, how that, that's going to play out. But uh, anyway, I thought you guys get a kick out of that starting 11 and wanted to see what you guys thought about that. 100%. Um, uh, last thing I wanted to talk about, though, real quick, and I want to get all your takes, and then we'll go ahead and end up the sh- in the show. Uh, you just talked about Ed Woodward and spending money there, Sean. Uh, United said they have ended their search for a sporting director, and I go, all right, who we got? <laughs> Nobody. John, yeah. did you see this playing out that way? Is that to me? Yeah. You know, I do. And it, I think it's right. Re- I believe, and it's just a matter of human trust, because getting hold of Man United was for the Glazer family to get hold of Man United, an American company. They went through Woodward. And, he's, and they got it. It took a long time. And there's a lot of nasty people on, on the business side of it all. Real, you know, some real dodgy people. But Woodward maneuvered it all. They took them over. And now they are one of the best clubs on the planet. Mm-hmm. Now, what I don't think they want to do is relinquish it too much to anyone else. So I think that's why they rely on Woodward because he stayed the course with them and I think Mm. that's why we don't have a director of football because he'll be butting heads with either Woodward and or uh, Ollie so I think that is their view that they want to have a very tight control of that business because everything else is going a bit bit messed up in the rest of the business empire that's what I think PK, do you think that Ole now has became the de facto uh, director of football? Yes and no. I think him and Woodard are, are, are playing well together. Um, I want a director of football. I want a median. You know, we, we in, the, in the chat farm this week said something, you know, do we need a director of football? I said there's a reason there's two nuclear keys on a submarine. Um, this is the first time since Ferguson has retired that we've started planning to for the future recently. Um, we, we bought players to win this year and it's failed blew up in our face multiple times. We've hired coaches to win this year yeah. and it's blown up multiple yeah. times in our face. And we hired Ole saying, we're not going to win this year. We've made signings 
that said, we're not going to win this year, but we're going to win year three, four, and five. And I think now that we have a course recognizing that, I think we're okay. Um, what I like an outside mind that's not in the trenches that can give a 10,000 foot view. Yes. But are we going to get that? No, I think I, I'm not a big water fan, but you know, it's something we're going to have to deal with. Am I Ole fan? Do I think he's, he gets us up for the best games and I think we're starting to get the right players in the right positions that play for the crest. Um, I, six months ago, we needed one. I think now I'm starting to have faith in the system that we're doing. Matt, you agree with all that? Yeah, I, I wish we had hired a director of football. And I think if it was going to happen, it was going to happen um, the summer heading into the season. I think strategically that would have just made sense. He would have, you know, Ollie's shored up to be the manager for his first full year. And, and I think then you got the opportunity to bring the guy in. So when we started the new season without one, I didn't think it was going to happen, which is kind of shocking um, that we were actually still con- to say we we're still considering because there's certainly plenty of candidates um, within the Manchester United alumni pool. You know, there's, there's a lot of guys who are very well respected that could come in and do a great job. I was really hoping to see Edwin Vandesar come in. He, he's yep. been doing some work at IX and I think he would have been the perfect candidate. Can you look um, at what IX is turning out? Yeah, still, and and he, did, he didn't want to leave. And plus, his wife's sick right now. And I think well, that's why he didn't come. Yeah. So I think if it, if it was going to happen, it would have happened earlier. I I I'm along the lines of PK. I think that there is a strategy finally in place. I don't know who put that strategy in place, um, but it seems to be actually working. So the, the I would still like to see one because I would like there to be the guy who can take some of that pressure off of Ollie to where he can focus on more day-to-day stuff with the team. Um, somebody who can go to bat for him with Ed to talk about what players he wants to bring in. And then lastly, the guy who can have the vision to connect everything from the senior club all the way down to, you know, the, the six, seven year olds that are playing the guy who says, this is what Manchester United is going to look throughout the entire organization. Um, and I just – I don't know that we've got that. If, if there is somebody that's doing that, it's not a public role that we well, hear about. I think Ole is a piece of that where, you know, he was coaching the U23s and then went away and came back. Um, you know, I think there's some bits in that. But, you know, I, I think also the club needs a guy that says no. I don't think mm-hmm. Woodard and Ole have that situation where they can tell each other no yet. Yeah. And that's and, what I meant by that go-between guy. The, yeah. the guy that takes some of the pressure off of Ollie. He's – he doesn't have enough clout yet. He's got enough clout in terms of what he, you know, what he means to Manchester United fans, but within the organization itself with the Glazers, with, with Ed and with, with other executives, he doesn't have that clout yet. He's still the new manager. So you bring sure. a guy in who, who plays the politics side of it. Well, he's, he's not the guy, he's not the guy that's going to go win when you talk to Halad, the guy that signed with Dortmund. You know, mm-hmm. you walk in with all you, you walk in with five other coaches. Is Ole going to be the guy that shocks the room? Yeah, He's yeah that's true. Sean, what were you going to say on this? You had something to chime in on with this. I, I thought I said everything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to get a director of football, I don't think. I think they're going to work it out themselves. I think they've got enough people there at that club. You know, mm. you've got Ole, all his back staff, you've got Charlton, all those people behind him. Mrs. Tracy? You've got, I don't think they're going to do it. Who's I back there, Sean? Grabbing a bottle hey, of Sean, 
Sean's wife. Sean's wife. Sean's wife. Hey. Hey. All right. Hey. That's awesome. Yeah, All right. I'll tell you. Uh, cameo. Sean, cameo. Sean, I, Sean, I got a question. Hi, hi Mrs. Tracy. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Quick question, Sean. Do, do you think we don't have a director of football because we have multiple people that are – it's a, a director of football by committee – as yeah, I think that's what's going on. I we have think, enough money to pay seven guys to do this instead of one guy to do this. They've got enough money. And I think Glazers trust Ed Woodward very much. I think yeah. they trust him so much for what he's done to get them in that position, which is immense. Should be my, my share of stock. It's down $4 since I bought it four months ago. Because they're not selling pies and beer. That's the problem. That's right. That's right. You know, it's it's almost like there was a coming to Jesus moment with Ed, maybe. You know, I, I don't know if if Sir Alex pulled him aside or or somebody, you know, who it was. But it, it does feel like strategy has dramatically changed heading this year. And at first it felt like it was a PR spin move. We're going to focus on the youth because that's what United's all about. We're all sitting here going, oh, bullshit. You don't want to spend the money and da-da-da. Language. And, and – and now we're sorry. Well, I got explicit, you know, on the podcast. It's fine. I don't fuck. But now it starts. <laughs> now, now it starts to feel like you know we're we're bringing in the young players at the right time, and bringing in Bruno was was a great sign. It feels like maybe he's starting to get it. Maybe he is listening to some people some more than he did in the past. <clears throat> well, we're not we're not just buying the best players on available. Mm, you no. know? and that's what we did. We do with Sanchez. We did the pie. We did with. Uh, Di Maria, Di Maria. Yeah, like, we just yeah, started bringing, yeah, we started bringing in the best guy. Out <laughs> I know. Yeah. He backfired just hilariously. And well, and we're and we're sticking with guys. We're sticking with McTominay. You know, there yeah. there might have been other years, three or four years ago, where he would have been out the door. We're sticking with Martial. He's had some rough catches, but we're sticking with him. Shaw, with all the injuries, you know, he would have been a guy yeah. that would have been easy to kick uh, out. So he broke his leg. That was so oh yeah. man. So we're yeah. we're finally oh, yeah. we're finally sticking yeah, with guys, and the organization, and the organization has shown some belief in these guys. Where I think three or four years ago they would have been out the door. So again, strategy changed. What happened? You know, maybe yeah, Ed's listening to other guys. Conversation. All right, boys. Hey, before I let you go, uh, just just think about what we talked about today. We talked about the French league, the Dutch league, the German league, the Spanish league. We talked about the EPL, what they're going to do there. We talked about the Hillsborough catastrophe. Sean, thank you so much for coming on and talking talking about that. That was phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. Uh, I, I, we could just do a, a whole podcast just on that. And then we talked about the latest and greatest for Manchester United. Guys, what a fun, fun show, man. Really, really enjoyed it. And yeah, so, it yeah, so good, good stuff. And Sean, Sean thanks for thank you on, so man. much. Awesome. Yeah, most definitely. So. Again. All right. Play my token sheet. Get the uh... – I'll try and explain this a bit better. But there's some okay. great information. I'll just Oh, no. We'll love that. So, and, boys, uh, those are the sounds of yeah. Manchester's uh, own Stone Roses, letting us know that we're at the end of our show. I'm your host, Red Oldham, along with the rest of the crew. Patrick Kelly, Ryan, uh, Ryan Castout's at on assignment, Matt Hutchinson, and our special guest, Sean Tracy. We'll be back next week with another installment of the St. Louis Red Army break down all things Manchester United. Thanks for joining us. And remember, glory, glory, Man United. All right, boys, it's a wrap. <laughs>